Well, uh, good morning. Uh, thank you to our worship team for um, each week um, guiding us with um, songs and lyrics that allow us to express um, our gratitude to the greatness of God, to remember um, His grace, to remember our depravity, and yet uh, He still um, died for us and uh, paid for our sin in full. It's good um, to be reminded of that. Um, this morning, I just want to share just a brief um, update and a thank you um, to you all. Um, several weeks ago, um, I came back from uh, my sabbatical, which uh, some of you have never heard of a sabbatical, but it's a time, um, especially for pastors, to be able to get away, and it's a time for them um, to rest, um, it's a time um, to just evaluate um, some places where they might need some healing, and um, just to reset um, some rhythms um, in our lives, and uh, those were um, certainly um, true for me. So. Certainly got to focus on rest and spending time with my family, um, not having uh, the day-to-day grind, um, not having um, to answer a lot of phone calls, make a lot of decisions, um, except for all of the things at home, which there seemed to be plenty of things that I decide on, <laughs> and uh, many things that uh, maybe I had neglected uh, for uh, weeks or months prior to that. But um, I also, uh, one of the focuses for me um, was just uh, to get a little bit of healing in a, something called compassion fatigue. Has anybody heard of compassion fatigue before? All right, two of us, three. All right. <clears throat> um, I seem to ask the questions that nobody knows what I'm talking about. So compassion fatigue, think um, burnout, um, but not burnout from um, doing too much or too often, but uh, more um, just experiencing a lot of secondary trauma. So for me, um, getting the, the privilege just to serve as a chaplain for the local um, law enforcement as well as for fire department, um, I get to um, see and hear um, and experience a lot of um, difficult things. So for instance, um, just um, this past week, um, I got a call at 3.45 in the morning, and uh, my job uh, was to be on scene for a family that uh, their loved one um, had died in a car accident, and then I got to go tell um, someone's 12-year-old um, that their dad um, had died. So if you can imagine, um, those things build up uh, over time, and uh, I was able to uh, gain a better understanding of this and uh, be able to, to get some healing from that. So that was really good, and read a lot of books um, in regards to those things, and um, I did, um, yes, uh, for those that are wondering, I did um, do some fishing. So, um, but uh, in regards to um, compassion fatigue, it's something that I'm certainly growing in, and uh, also, really focusing on just new rhythms of, of rest and work. Um, I, uh, I tend to uh, just keep working, and no matter if uh, rest is needed, I tend to just keep pushing forward. And that's something that uh, God is always uh, working on me in. And uh, some of you are great um, sources of accountability uh, in regards to that. So, um, all in all, um, I just want to say thank you um, to all of you uh, for allowing that to happen, um, especially for those that. Um, we're able to uh, stand in um, in different roles that I might um, play uh, here, and I'm grateful for that. God was good, and um, he continues to be good. So today, uh, we find ourselves um, in um, a series on Second Peter, and we happen to find ourselves on week four of chapter two, um, all discussing um, this idea of uh, false teachers, um, who they are, what they are, um, how to know what they are. But just as way of review, um, in chapter one, uh, we've seen Peter um, encourage the faith of those um, in the church um, by calling on believers to confirm their faith um, by the way that they live. In chapter 1, we also see Peter defend uh, the words that he has shared with them, that they are not myths or made-up things, but they are um, straight from God and his experience in God's presence um, nonetheless. And we also um, 
see Peter compare God's true word to a lamp, which we've heard that before, but it reminds us that we should use um, that lamp um, to help us determine what is truly from God and, and what isn't. In chapter 2, uh, we've seen so far that uh, Peter begins um, a significant description of those um, that are false teachers um, in his day. He describes their motives. He describes how God will bring justice against them. He describes their nature. And in total, um, so far, we know that these false teachers, um, they bring in destructive heresies. They bring those things into the church, and they're oftentimes um, from our own churches. They deny Jesus. They earn um, their own destruction. They entice people with sensual things. They know the truth, um, yet um, they deny it, um, committing blasphemy. We're also told that these false teachers are greedy, that they exploit um, the weak with their words. Um, They indulge in sexual sin. They despise authority. They are bold and willful. They enjoy openly sinning uh, for other people to see. Um, Their um, desire, um, their lust for sexual sin is insatiable. They're unsteady and accursed, and they are empty. Sounds like somebody you want to hang out with on a Friday night, right? Um, Today, uh, we're going to see even a little bit more um, about some of their empty promises, um, some of the lies um, that they might tell, and some of the sensuality of which um, they indulge in. So my hope today um, is that we will better be able um, to discern Uh, what is or who is um, a false teacher, and to be able to determine that we want to set our eyes, our focus, and our gaze on God's transformation in our lives and not lies um, from the enemy and those that are false. Would you pray with me before we open God's word? Father, today we're grateful. We are indeed grateful for your grace, for your goodness. We're grateful for the fact that uh, you love and care about people like us. And God, if we're honest, These are all things, these sins um, that we read about in chapter 2. On some level, we all struggle with them in different ways. If we're honest, um, God, if I'm honest, God, there is pride, there is arrogance. In my own life, there is a desire to to be noticed. God, my flesh um, at times um, is much stronger than I'd like it to be. And God, oftentimes I can take my gaze off of you. And instead of being transformed... By your grace, God, I choose sin. So God, I ask today that you would, um, just in your own grace, challenge us, God, that you would root out and point out um, sin um, in our lives. God, that you would help us to see where uh, we have uh, followed or listened to or agreed with uh, those that are false teachers. And God, that we might uh, be transformed um, today uh, by your grace. For it's in Christ's name we ask. Amen. So this morning, if you got your Bibles, the words are not going to be on the screen. So whether digital or in print, grab those and uh, turn to 2 Peter. Uh, we'll spend most of our time in uh, 2 Peter chapter 2. Uh, we'll also spend a little bit of time in Jude, which is just a few books over um, past all of the Johns. So um, 2 Peter 2, if you want to grab scriptures and turn there. Um, I want to read um, our passage in full today and then kind of go back and look at each of the verses and talk about them just briefly. And I did tell the worship team before that uh, I think I'm going short today. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right? So if if we're here till like two, just be ready. That tends to happen, but uh, uh, my goal is to not go long. Um, (laughs) Amen? (laughs) 
<laughs> I told him too that uh, I was at a, a funeral not too long ago, and there were nine um, pastors speaking. <laughs> right? Yeah. So the the guy that was in charge of it didn't have a ton of experience uh, with funerals, particularly of this type. And I said, "Look, you have got to tell every pastor, look him in the eye and be firm. You have this many seconds and minutes, and you need to get off the stage when you're done." So he um, and Ryan, this is particularly for you today. Um, so he, he pulled us all together and before the, the service, and he said, look, here's the deal. You all know your parts. Yes, we all know our parts. Okay, you've got X number of time. Yes, we all got that. He said, so when I say amen, that's your time to get off stage. <laughs> and knowing that he's talking to a bunch of pastors who could care less. I mean, that's, a, that's, a, that's an encouragement to go forward, right? Keep going. Say it again. Amen. What did I just say? Say it again. Um, he knew um, amen is probably not going to help them get off the stage. He looked at him and said, no, seriously, if I say amen and I stand up, you better be moving <laughs> because I'm walking up on that stage. <laughs> so, Ryan, today, um, I think the worship team has charged you not just with an amen, but if you stand up and amen, it's, amen. it's time to go. <laughs> it's time to go. All right, 2 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse 18. Uh, for speaking, uh, for speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh um, those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again Entangled of them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. So look again at verse 18 in 2 Peter chapter 2. For I'm speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. These false teachers, what do they do? They brag about themselves. They're excited to tell people how awesome um, that they are or of their achievements, of what they've done, of how many people um, they have um, following them. Um, they um, are arrogant. And I think it's um, so concerning when you see um, the cult of personality that has entered into particularly um, the American church today. When pastors are, are either put on a pedestal or they put themselves on a pedestal. And it becomes um, about them and their church and their vision and their way. And everyone wants them to be the one um, that speaks, them to be the one that does everything. Because they um, agree with the church. <laughs> they are awesome. They're awesome. And we see this um, so uh, much um, in our church today. We see it because um, there's been um, so much proliferation of um, sermons, of um, with technology, with podcasts, and blogs, and vlogs, and, and YouTube, and everything else that is out there. There's certainly nothing wrong with any of those things, but we all want that celebrity. <laughs> and eventually, um, some of these leaders, some of these teachers begin to buy into the fact that they are um, better than everyone else. And they tell everyone. And I'm not saying that everyone who wrestles with arrogance, because I would say, um, to be fair, um, 
I wrestle with arrogance on some days. Ryan? Uh, I was... <laughs> uh, I, I wrestle with that. Does anybody else wrestle with arrogance? You think you're, you're good or awesome or better? Come on. Uh, apparently, it's just a few of us. We wrestle with these things, but not everyone who wrestles with arrogance is necessarily a false teacher, but it certainly gives us a clue um, as to who they are. And then it says, um, those um, who are barely escaping. And I think that this means um, for us that it refers to, to those that are young Christians. They lure them back into sin with twisted desires for sexual pleasure. And be sure to note, um, the sexual or sensual pleasures throughout all of chapter 2, it, it's clearly evident. Um, it's not something to be glossed over, particularly in our culture. Um, but it is there, and it's there in full. And um, they are lured back into sin with twisted desires for sexual pleasure. It could be that the false teachers are saying that sexual sin isn't actually sin. Can you see this in our churches today? Things like, certainly that didn't mean that. God didn't mean that. Certainly uh, this condemnation of sexual sin in Scripture is just cultural. You can see it um, in words like, um, those words aren't for our time. Or God is still speaking and writing Scripture as culture and humanity continues to unfold. It might also target personal weaknesses with saying things like, certainly it's okay to continue watching pornography. Especially if you watch it with your spouse, then it's okay. Certainly, God wants you to enjoy um, sexual pleasure with whomever you'd like, as long as you love them, no matter their gender, their identity, or their relationship status. Go ahead. God wants you to be happy. After all, he made you this way. Do you hear these things? And these things aren't just in our culture. Um, These things are happening um, by people um, who call themselves religious leaders, who call themselves pastors. These are happening in churches and denominations on a regular basis. Instead of moving towards transformation and sanctification, the thought um, is to embrace our sin. Because after all, many would say it's part of who we are, right? It was once said, um, at all events, a grandiose um, sophistry is the hook. Filthy lust is the bait. Uh, people are drawn in not by the hook, but by the bait. And um, it's also been said that um, anytime that I preach, there's either one of two analogies that are going to happen. One of them is mowing, and the other is fishing. So I thought I would bring my tackle bag today. This is my bag. And yesterday, um, I was asked um, by Selah, um, wow, that's big. What, what do you have in there? <laughs> do you really need all of that? <laughs> to which I'm like, yeah. <laughs> they must have a tackle bag. <laughs> you need all of this stuff, right? I mean, I won't go through all of it. Don't worry. That would that'd be a long time to be here. But, you know, you, you've got... I heard that, amen. <laughs> you know, you, you've got all of your lures, right? You got these? Yep. You, these are they're all different reasons, different colors. They all swim to different depths. You know, they're shiny things, right? Uh, we've all got our, our crankbaits. You know, you got to have those. And, you know, and you want to have some other things that are, like, really flashy. 
you know, this one. I think it's, nope, not that one. Oh, just kidding. Oh, this one. I tried this one the other day. So this is a topwater bait, which you don't have to know what that means. But I tried it for the first time because I've never used it before, but I spent some money on it. And guess what? I didn't catch a single thing. <laughs> I, I didn't. And, and this one I've had for a couple years. I've never caught anything on this one. And I'm not sure what exactly it's supposed to represent. I've never seen a fish with, like, jewels before. <laughs> but this one's got, like, jewels. <laughs> so, you know, there, there's, there's all of, of these kinds. And, and you know, and certainly there's, there's other kinds that are in there. I mean, you've got to have your plastic worms. You know, uh, you've got to have a wacky, a wacky rig. Does anybody know what a wacky rig is? <laughs> we need to go fishing. Um, you know, I mean, you gotta have, you gotta have something like really big, like you know, because those are gonna like catch bigger fish, right? And it's in here somewhere. Um, no, it's not. I don't know where it is. Maybe it fell in the pond yesterday. All right, well, never mind. But you, you've got all of these lures, right? And one thing about them, I've, I've never seen a fish, you know like be drawn to a hook. They, they don't come out and be like, oh, that hook looks awesome. I think I'm going to bite that and like hook myself. Because uh, that, that's never fun. So like, here's another one. I've never caught one on, but it looks really good. And the hooks, I can tell you, because it's about to hook myself, um, they're really sharp. Ow. Sorry, we're not doing a fishing sermon, but... Um, no, no fish looks at that hook there and says, ooh, I'm going to bite that. <laughs> that looks good. They, they bite it because there's something about this that they really want. They, they bite it because it, it looks like lunch or dinner or breakfast. And what they get isn't, isn't lunch, dinner, or breakfast. What they get is the hook. They get the hook. And for false teachers... They have all kinds of bait. And what happens is people don't actually get the bait. They get the hook. And when they're hooked, they become trapped um, by what is happening. And I think for us um, to see from this passage that we are baited uh, by what our flesh wants. No fish um, ever looks at a lure and says, and that's interesting. Maybe I'll just wander over there for no reason um, and bite this random object with a shiny, sharp thing on it. No. Um, it's something that we want. It's something that we desire. Something we tell ourselves that we can't say no to. And the hook, we might not even notice it at first. But once it's there, there's little or nothing that we can do. We're being reeled in. And eventually we land in a place that we never thought we'd be, out of the water inside of somebody else's boat. This is what false teachers do, and they're good at it. So what are some red flags? First, see that teachers or false teachers um, who are all about themselves, it's a red flag. Teachers, um, leaders, pastors, denominations, who either embrace um, personal sexual sin as okay or those who promote sexual sin as not only acceptable 
but as normal and good. It's a red flag. And we see this in our culture. Peter saw this in his day. And people, God's people, have seen this since the beginning of time. There's this enticing because our flesh wants something different. Verse 19. It says they promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. So if you follow the progression, you'll begin to see that um, it's more um, than you may have imagined. Teachers, leaders, um, they oftentimes sound confident. Um, They're likely um, at least moderately successful, or at least moderately successful. They're not slouches. They're not people with like two people in a room uh, most of the time. They're likely very good at what they do. Their lifestyles oftentimes look like they are blessed. And what they say sounds incredibly good. They teach um, what I like to hear, what we like to hear. They tell us that we can have it all, do it all. And when we do, this is when we'll finally be free. They promise us freedom. The problem is to promise freedom to, to do that. They have to actually possess it. But they don't. Scripture reminds us that they're a slave to their own sin, and their true desire um, is to suck us in to their world on the, so the outside it looks so good, it sounds so good. It appeals to our flesh um, to finally have what it wants, what it craves, and when, um, if only we would give in to it, then and only then would we be free. These things um, are all around us. And it's in our churches. However, for any of us that have caved into our flesh, which I'm assuming is all of us, to just give it what it wants, we realize that it doesn't offer freedom at all, but it ruins everything that we have. And even more than that, as if that wasn't enough, it makes us its slave even more. The false teacher doesn't have freedom and they certainly can't promise it to us. Verse 20. For if um, after they have escaped some of the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled of them and overcome. The last um, state has become worse for them than the first. In verse 21. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. So who is the they, and what exactly have they escaped? There's really two options. They is either the false teachers or it's those who follow them. I think contextually, as well as throughout Scripture, you could probably make a decent argument that it's either of them. What is it that they have escaped? Um, It's either uh, those who have heard the truth, they've understood it, and they've walked away from it, or it is those who have actually surrendered their lives um, to Christ. They are Christians, um, but they are young um, and weak and oftentimes naive. Honestly, uh, my understanding, just as I've researched um, the text, um, I, can't, I don't think it necessarily is clear either way. But we know from other scriptures what this can't mean. It can't mean that once we have true faith in Christ that we can lose it. Scripture is clear on that. God is the guarantee himself. He holds us in the palm of his hand. Scripture is clear 
on many other fronts that our eternity is held tightly in the grasp of the Almighty. We know it does not mean that. And the sentiment of verse 20, though I believe we can understand, once we have knowledge of what is true and then we deny it, choosing sin instead, we realize that the enemy uses guilt to enslave us to sin even more. We've all experienced this in different ways, particularly if um, you have a habitual sin or you have um, an addiction. Um, has anybody ever prayed, um, God, I will never do that again? And then you, you do it again. And eventually um, you start feeling really guilty about it and your guilt continues to grow almost as though it spirals, almost as though something has its hooks in you and begins to take you down um, over and over again. And eventually... You, you, you say, well, I, I'm just going to do it, and I'm not going to feel bad about it anymore. This, this cycle uh, begins to just um, destroy us and take us in places that we never wanted to go, um, but we can't figure out how to get out of. And eventually, we're much worse off than we ever started. In verse 22, what the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. This is quoting, at least part of it's quoting Proverbs 26.11 that says, Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats um, his folly. Uh, We can easily see, right? Eating vomit's not good, right? Amen. Amen. (laughs) If if you do this, stop. (laughs) It's, It's gross. Does anybody have a dog that does this? I've not had a lot of dogs, but every dog I've ever had eats its vomit, right? Yeah. Callie, you should get a dog someday. I I was talking to your mom this week, and she's like, do dogs really do that? Yeah, it's disgusting. Like, most of the time, the dogs we've had, and they don't, like, walk away and, like, go have some fun for a while and then come back. They just sit there and look at it. And then they, like, slurp it up, right? <laughs> yeah, it's disgusting. Does anybody not have a dog before and never seen this? Just the Jameses. All right. <laughs> They've also not had a runny egg, and they don't eat mayonnaise. So <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> someone, someone help them after the service. Um, but I actually looked up this week. Why, why do dogs do that? I just thought they were gross or dumb, uh, which our dog, I love him, but he's, he's dumb. <laughs> and one of the things that um, I read, um, it reminded me that dogs um, have a sense of smell that's either ten, somewhere between 10,000 and 100,000 times better um, than we as humans. And when they vomit, they can actually smell things in the vomit that they still want. They smell food that when it went down and it was decomposed, they still smell what they ate in the first place. Like for our dog, it was the hot dog off the stove last night. It makes me so mad. And they smell what they want. They, they don't see that and think, gross, that's vomit. They, they see it and they smell it and they're like, hmm, there's... There's some good stuff still in there. And I'm, I'm going to eat it. And they do. 
Our flesh, um, even if uh, we've been transformed by Christ, our flesh um, still wants sin. Even though we know it's wrong, it's awful, it's gross, there's something in our flesh that still wants it. Still wants it. And he points out here um, that these, these false teachers, even though they know it's vomit, they continue to return to it. Even though they know um, they just um, got a shower, they still go out and roll around in nasty mud because there's something um, in our flesh that wants that. And false teachers know it, and they do it, and they do it um, over and over and over again. So we're going to land the plane. And I'm looking at the time. Ryan, you don't have to stand up. I think we're doing good. So what, what do we do with all of this? We've been talking about false teachers for the last four weeks in chapter 2. The first thing I think we need to do um, as followers of Christ is know what a false teacher looks like. They're greedy. They're arrogant. They boast about themselves. They gather people to themselves by enticing them through people's own pleasures, oftentimes in the name of sexual freedom. These false teachers, they're in bondage to sin, especially sexual sin, they know the truth, but yet twist it for their own means. And they oftentimes look like part of the church, but yet are not. We need, as followers of Christ, to recognize these people and turn them off. Avoid them like the plague. Because there's something, even in our flesh, that still identifies or wants what they're selling. Second thing, I think we need to evaluate ourselves. Ask God to begin to dig out these roots in our lives. Because if the root is still there, those things are going to grow. I think we always need to weigh our thoughts, our ideas, and teachings against God's word. Don't go um, straight to what somebody else on the internet said about a passage or about an idea. Look at God's word. If what we're saying up here um, isn't jiving with you, look at God's word. <laughs> If something a friend or a colleague or somebody on TV says um, sounds um, a little funny, um, look at God's word. Weigh what we hear, what we believe um, by God's word. Invite others um, that follow Christ to speak into your life, especially areas of sin. Put yourself around others. Be in community with other people and transparent enough to share to those that might care about you so they can help you see um, some of these issues that might be in our own lives. So first, know what a false teacher looks like. Second, um, evaluate yourself. Um, third, um, do what Peter says in chapter 1. If you've got your Bible, turn back a page to chapter 1. Check this out. Um, in verse 3, it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness now, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted us now, granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire for us to turn up to God who has given us these things verse 5 in 2 Peter chapter 1 for this very reason 
then this is something we should do on a regular basis, on a daily, every minute basis. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Friends, if we just drift through life, hoping that we're going to grow and be okay and be transformed just by osmosis or just by happenstance. It's not going to happen. The cravings of our flesh is way too strong. It is why Peter says for this very reason, make every effort to supplement our faith with virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. Make every effort. Verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Verse 9, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind. Sorry, I just read that one. Verse 10, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. If you practice these qualities of virtue, love, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, self-control, then you will never fall. There's also a a parallel passage I wanted us to look at just briefly in Jude. It's not just um, Peter. I'm here in this moment with this church. We're reminded of these um, things that um, very much describe our culture today. In Jude 3, beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Skip ahead to verse 8. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. It certainly sounds like Second Peter chapter 2. Skip ahead to verse 14. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Verse 16, these are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Verse 17, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, Worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Friends, my prayer today is that we are better able to discern uh, who those false teachers are and that we're better able and more committed um, to adding these virtues 
to our lives so that we might be transformed by God's grace. Let's pray. Father, indeed, we are challenged by your word. God, we are um, convicted um, by our own sin. We are frustrated um, by our flesh. But God, we are grateful that one day we will be um, completely um, transformed. We're grateful uh, for in the ways that you are patient uh, with us um, in our growing and in our sanctification. God, we haven't earned it. We don't deserve it. We're grateful for your grace and for your mercy. We're grateful, too, that even while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. So, God, we ask today that you would help us to discern who these false teachers are in our own lives, that you would rip up these roots of sin in our lives so we might be able to be transformed, and, God, that we would add uh, these virtues in our lives, that we would keep our eyes um, fixed on you. And God, may you receive glory um, through it all. And it's only um, because of Jesus that we pray this morning. And it's also in his name. Amen.